You ever see anybody lose a whole bunch of weight? I mean, like 50, 60 pounds, and then the next year you see them and it's all back on plus? Some of you are laughing because you've done it. I've done it about 100 times, I think. So why does that happen? Well, you slip. Just one bowl of ice cream, just a birthday party, just a Thanksgiving dinner, and then pretty soon it's all back. It seems like when you lose 20, you gain 25. If you lose 25, you gain 30. It's always a little bit more. So you're going on the wrong way, long picture, just you slip a bit. So if we look at the reason, basically the word is discipline. Discipline. We're not able to discipline ourselves in regards to what we eat. So the Bible talks a lot about that topic, discipline. And we have what we call the disciplines. That is the things that we do that are difficult or hard because our flesh doesn't like to do them. But faithfully practicing these Christian disciplines guarantees that we're going to go in the right direction. Is that, that is, we'll grow, we'll become closer to him in character, good things will happen. So <clears throat> I ride my bicycle an hour every night at stationary bike. Rarely ever miss. And the reason is because seven years ago I was diagnosed with Parkinson's and doing research on the topic. I mean, I went downhill fairly fast quick, uh, early on, but then I read that exercise will kind of keep it at bay. So I thought, okay. And I read that best bicycle, best exercise was bicycling. So I started riding a bicycle, real bicycle, and a stationary bike an hour every night. And it was amazing the, the difference. And um, most people will say, you don't... Act like a person with Parkinson's. I don't feel like a person with Parkinson's. But if I go two weeks without riding my bike, I probably wouldn't be able to get up on this stage. Uh, The difference is fairly dramatic. I just bought a rowing machine. I'm adding 30 minutes of rowing on my rowing machine to my every night uh, routine. And one of the reasons is because uh, there's 16 people from our church going down the Colorado River this next coming August in rafts, big water class, you know, all these big rafts. And I get to go, and I'm going to run a boat. And an 18-foot rubber raft pulling on it with 10-foot oars takes a little bit, of, and I'm afraid I might not have it, so I'm getting this rowing machine, and I'm going to row on it 30 minutes every night. What do you call that? Discipline. Now, I do it because the benefit is obvious. You never discipline yourself for just no reason. There's always a benefit. There's always a reward. And the clearer that reward is, the more motivated you'll be to do it. And so the disciplines that are mentioned in Scripture, if you can connect the discipline to the benefit that God clearly tells us in His Word, then you will stay motivated and do it. That's just the way it is. January 1, I stopped eating sugar and uh, wheat. And the difference in my Parkinson was a lot. I cut my medication in half. So I don't eat sugar. I like sugar. I like ice cream. It was my main staple most of my life. And I see ice cream... Oh, man, I'd love to have some ice cream. I've only messed up one time since January 1. 
of eating something with sugar in it. And I ate two pieces of cherry pie about one o'clock in the morning. The next day, I knew that was a bad choice in the way I felt. So I maintained the discipline because of the benefit. I maintained the discipline because of the benefit. Know and understand the benefits for any discipline, and you will maintain it. Once you forget it, then you'll no longer do it. So last week, we talked about the fact that we get all messed up. We put everything up, up here and God down here. And we want to keep God first in our life. We want to keep our devotion to him first, our love for him first, everything about God first, and everything else at the bottom, and not let it get flipped upside down. And God has given us some disciplines to maintain that. Now, the early church fathers, we know when the church first started, they identified 21 different disciplines that we practice. And some of them are minor, some of them are big. An example would be fasting. It's mentioned in the Bible uh, as a discipline. But I've reduced it down to seven major ones, and most of you know, read the Bible every day, every day, every day. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, day and night. What's that mean? Day and night. So that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success in everything you do. That motivates me. It's a matter of whether you believe it or not. Now, part of the problem is that the discipline and the benefit are separated a bit. So often we don't see the connection with my exercise and my Parkinson's. It's pretty close. I can see the consequence of failing to do it quickly, and so therefore I'm motivated to maintain the discipline. And so pray. Pray every day, 15 minutes. Much prayer, much blessing, little prayer, little blessing, no prayer, no blessing. Uh, you don't have because you don't ask, the Bible says. And you ask and you don't get because uh, you're asking with wrong motives. And the only time you come to God is when you've got this crisis. You don't give him time. So there's, you know, there's issues there. So one of the disciplines we're going to talk about this morning is giving our money. Uh, Sometimes people say, preachers, just all they talk about is giving. I only talk about it once a year. So it's been over 18 months since the last time I talked about it, so my motives are pure. <laughs> but I understand that this is a discipline that many believers don't do for a variety of reasons, but it is so important in the sense of what happens to us spiritually when we do it. Number six in your notes, and we did the first five last week, uh, a major discipline of life that works powerfully in us to keep the noble desires at the top of our heart, the noble desires at the top of our heart, and the selfish ones at the bottom is faithfully, systematically, sacrificially giving some of our money to God. So God didn't say, oh man, how in the world are we going to do things? How are we going to advance the kingdom? We're broke. We need some money. I think I'll get people to give some money. Is that what motivated God to put all the stuff in the Bible about giving? No, it's because of us. We need this discipline in our life, otherwise we're going to have everything upside down as far as motive and desire and love, etc. Um, giving is important. It's God's idea. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me. God says, that's a great phrase. God says, just try it out and see if it isn't true. Test me now in this and see... 
says the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So there's the discipline and there's the blessing. And if we connect them and we're motivated, and God says, check it out, see if it isn't true. Deuteronomy 15.10, you shall generously give to him. Your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you, will bless you in all your work and all your undertakings. God will bless you if you do. Proverbs 22, 9, he who is generous will be blessed. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Luke 6, 38, Jesus speaking here, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over by your standard of measure will be measured to you in return. In other words, this discipline has a, a give a penny, and get a penny's worth of blessing. Give a nickel, get a nickel's worth of blessing. It's all up to you. People ask me all the time, how much should I give? All depends. How much you want blessed? A little or a lot? Second Corinthians says that, I say, he who sows sparingly, sows sparingly, that is you give a little bit, will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully, that is you give a lot, will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace. I've got to tell you this story. It's nothing related to the sermon. It's just a fun story. I, I preached, oh, it's been five or six years ago, a sermon. And in the sermon, I made the statement that God loves some people more than others. And there was a lady in the audience, first time in the church, she came up to me after the service and she got like this far from my nose and she said, I can't believe you said that. I said, what's that? That God loves some more than others. That's not true. Show me one verse. Oh, well, I could show you a dozen, but let's just do one. How about 2 Corinthians 9 where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. Think about your giving. Are you a cheerful giver? Well, I'm a college student. We're poor. So, okay, that's cool, but you didn't answer the question. Are you a cheerful giver? Well, I don't have a job all the time. That's cool, but you didn't answer the question. Are you a cheerful giver? Well, probably not. So that verse says, God loves a cheerful giver. You aren't one not my idea. I mean, I didn't say it. It's right there. You take it any way you want. <clears throat> Number seven, I want more than anything else in all of life to know the Lord more. So we talk about wants, desires. What do I want? I want to know the Lord intimately in a real way, not an intellectual, theological, academic sort of way where I can tell you you know, what the Bible says about God, what his attributes are, what he decrees. I can tell you that stuff, but what I want to know is him. My spirit, his spirit, knowing him intimately. That's tough to do because I can't see him, because I can't touch him, because I can't smell him. None of my physical senses connect with God. It's on the inside, and a lot of things will interrupt and mess that up, especially if I love money or depend on stuff 
for my joy, it'll totally short-circuit my pursuit of God in my life. Psalms 42, I, I memorize this verse. I quote it all the time. I want this to be me, this verse. As the deer pants for the water brook, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, 1, O God, you are my God. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on this earth. Philippians 3, 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That is a relationship with him. First Chronicles twenty two nineteen. Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. First Chronicles sixteen eleven. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face continually. Deuteronomy four twenty nine. But from there you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him. You will find him in a real way if 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 you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Number eight, the more sacrificial my giving is, the closer I will grow towards God. So circle that line and put some stars around it because this is a, a law. This is the way it is. This is how it works. You give sacrificially and your growing intimately to, towards God will grow. Your giving is convenient, comfortable, non-existent, not cheerful, and it will have a huge impact on your relationship with God. That's just the way it is. When our kids were growing up, I'd hold up a bean seed and say, see that? That's a bean seed. When you plant it, you will get a bean. Why? That's just the way it is. God made it that way. See, this is a corn seed. You plant this, you're going to get a corn every time. There's no variation. That's just the way it is. That's the way God made it. So you're giving your money. It's a huge factor in your relationship with God. That's just the way it is. It's a law of God. He knows that the main competition for his love is the world and the stuff in it that you can see and that you can own, that can give you security, uh, or uh, we think it will. And unless we're willing to give some away on a regular basis, our growth towards God is going to be non-existent. Number nine, I want to accomplish more and more with my life that really matters for all eternity. Hey, we can do all kinds of stuff. I can catch fish. Uh, I can build a house. I can build a car. But what have I done that matters, that changes the world forever, that's eternal, that'll be there waiting for me when I show up to heaven? If I look behind my life and see, what have, what's 71 years of living, what's been accomplished because of it? What kind of wake do I have in my life? Have I just done stuff that everybody else does? Have I done stuff in the world that will all burn up? Or have I done something that impacts and influences people forever and ever and ever? Uh, you can ask the question, what have you done? And I want, I want, I want to do more than I've done. I want to bear much fruit, more fruit. Sort of like if you're on a football team, you want to win. And you work hard at winning. I'm not on a football team. I live life. I'm a servant of the king, and I want. I want to win in my life. That is, I accomplish something with my life that matters. Second Corinthians again. This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. 
Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, follow the rest of this. God is able to make all grace, grace abound to you, that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You will have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Increase the harvest of your righteousness. You know what that means? You're going to do something that matters. Why? Because you sowed bountifully. And you'll reap bountifully. doesn't mean you'll get more money, but it does mean that God will pour out his grace in your life and you'll have everything you need to accomplish significant things with your life. That's just the way it is. That's how God put it together. John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's a choice we make. Matthew 4, 19. He said to them, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Luke 9, 23, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. That means do some things that are hard. Practice some discipline in your life. Every day, take up your cross. Psalms 92, 14, they will still yield fruit in old age. This is my verse and some of you. Not all of you. Still yield fruit in old age. I hear people all the time say, man, I'm getting kind of old. I'm, kind of, I'm not done until I'm in the grave. I know more now than I've ever known. That's just the way life goes. And so if you know more, you ought to be able to do more, accomplish more, bear more fruit. And so next year I'm going to accomplish way more than I accomplished this year. And the following year and the following year. In old age, they will still yield fruit. They will be full of sap. <laughs> you look at me, I'm full of sap. Every green, and very green to declare the Lord is upright. Psalm 71, 18. Even when I'm old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. Jeremiah 17, 8. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Nor cease to yield fruit. Joshua 14. Behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. Now behold, I'm 85 years old today, Caleb's birthday. He says, I'm 85. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me as my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. That's my verse. Uh, somebody said, how long are you going to pastor? 85 minimum. Uh, you know, Caleb did it. I think I can do it. I'd like to be able to say when I'm 85, man, I'm as tough today as I was when I was 40. I'll keep riding my bike and doing my rowing machine. Genesis 24:1. Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Number 10, God gives, uses our giving as a test to see if he can entrust us with greater responsibility in our serving him. So we get to accomplish something with our life that matters because God opens up a door, gives assignment, provides an opportunity, gives the strength, gives the resources. If he doesn't do it through us, it isn't going to happen. And he doesn't use everybody. He uses those that are qualified. And there are certain tests that God gives and brings into our life to see if we are. 
Luke chapter 9, if you're not managing money well, God will not entrust true riches to you. True riches, that's people. You've probably taken some tests in your life, driving test, school test. I took a test to get a motorcycle endorsement. I flunked it three times but finally got it. In Alaska, you can't hunt with a bow and else you pass a test. They want to make sure you can hit what you're aiming at. Well, when I go up there to hunt with my son-in-law, I use a rifle because I haven't passed the test. I haven't taken the test. I haven't even attempted to do it because it takes a little bit of time. But there's a pipeline that runs pretty much the whole length of Alaska, up and down, north and south, that pumps water, uh, oil from up there in the Prudhoe Bay, all, I mean uh, the uh, Bering Sea, up all the way down, and it's illegal to shoot a gun five miles that side, five miles this side of the pipeline. So all along the pipeline, the full length of Alaska, you have this game preserve. And they have figured that out. All those caribou and moose and bear, they've kind of figured it out. Nobody shoots us when we're next to the pipeline. They all pretty much hang up. But you can shoot them with the bow. You can hunt them with the bow. So you drive up the road and there's the pipeline. Man, there's animals everywhere hanging out by that pipeline. You can't shoot them with a gun, but I'm going to pass the test. Pass the test. If I don't pass the test, I can't do it, but I'll practice. I'll pass the test. So you're going to do something with your life that matters for God. There's a test. What do you do with your money? Number 11, I want to see more and more people who are lost and headed for hell trust Jesus and be given the gift of eternal life. I want God to use me. I'd like to win more people to Jesus than Billy Graham did. I'm not even close, so I'm really going to have to get on a stick. Colossians 1.13, he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He uses people to make that happen. Number 12, I want to be the one used by God to influence many, 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 many people towards faith in Jesus. So I want, I want, I want, I want. What do you want? What is it that's at the top? Do you want to know the Lord more intimately? Do you want to do something with your life that matters? Or do you want more money? Or a good retirement? Or do you want to catch more fish? What is it that drives you? Acts 1.18, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. My witnesses. That is someone that communicates to people about faith in Christ. Matthew 28. 19 and 20, go therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations. That's the command I have. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, but just as we have been approved by God, approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Approved by, I thought that was, we could all do it. Well, you, you can, but will you? You can, but is there anybody going to listen? We got a deal in the mail this last week. And on the list were the approved prescriptions that our insurance company covered. If it wasn't approved, pay for it yourself. So are you on the list approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel? How do you get on the list? 
There's a number of tests, but a key one is uh, how are you doing with money? If you're not doing too well with it, you hang on to it, you depend on it, that's your source of joy, you give reluctantly, uh, not sacrificially, if at all. Matthew 4.19, he said to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Back to 2 Corinthians 9, to each one must... Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply, will supply, and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, when the word sowing is used uh, spiritually, it's talking about the gospel. You're speaking the gospel. Seeds are planted the parable of the sower going out and he sows the seed of the gospel. Some falls on good soil and we sow seed and God blesses and uses and opens doors and gives opportunity to us if we're on the approved list. Here's the key. He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully having to do with our uh, witnessing. 13, I want to grow in my character to become more and more like Jesus. I want to grow in my character. I want to become exactly like him so that when I step into glory, that we're like each other, Jesus and I. And I enjoy him and he enjoys me because we are like each other. I said this before, but I got some little grandkids, little, little guys. They're, man, they're cute little rascals and I love them, but I'm never going to take them fishing. Because in a boat with a fishing pole, they are a pain. Absolutely zero fun. I let the mother take care of them. But then when they get big, we'll take them. We'll go fishing. We'll go hunting. I enjoy them. They enjoy me because we're like each other. The goal of life is to make you like Jesus. Everything that God does in your life is to make you like Jesus in character. There's a whole lot of people that don't cooperate with the process, and when they step into heaven, they're going to be a baby in character. They're not going to be grown up at all. Now, we tend to think that once we step into heaven that God's going to Zappo, fixo. Huh, we're grown up. That makes life a joke. What you are the day you step into glory is what you are. For eternity, that's a long time to be stuck as a baby. You want to grow up and be all you can be and to be like Jesus. And the Bible is full of principles. Hebrews 6, 1, let us press on to maturity. Romans 8.29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, conformed to the image of his son, that we'd be like him. That's what he does. 1 Corinthians 15.41, there, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. Star differs from star in glory. So is the resurrection of the dead. That's the way it is when we get there. Some that are bright, some that are dull. Star differs from star in glory. So the question is, how mature, grown up are you? What's your character like? First Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many a pang. 14, the more sacrificial my giving, the faster I will grow in my character. Bean is a bean. When you plant it, it produces a bean. A corn seed is a corn seed. When you plant it, it produces corn. God has built life on laws, on principles. Understand that when you are stingy, selfish, 
reluctant because, ah, I could buy something with it, and your giving is minimal. You're giving, you're growing in character. We'll be at a snail's pace. It becomes an anchor in many people's growth in character, their reluctance to give because they don't think they have enough. Fifteen, I want, I want, I want, I want joy. God gives it, and so I like being happy. Sixteen, the biggest lie of the devil that almost everyone believes is that joy comes from events, circumstances, possessions, and money. If I can just get a little bit more, if I can just go on a vacation, if I could just get a car that didn't break down all the time, if I could just have a nice job, then I'd be happy. That's a lie right out of the pit of hell. 17, the truth is joy comes from God, only God. He gives it and he takes it away. It comes from him. I said this last week, but let me say it one more time. God gives joy as a reward for obedient living. God gives joy to those who follow his principles and follow him. It's the, the main definition of what it means to be blessed by God. The word, Greek word for bless and joy is the same word. God gives joy. I can know how I'm doing simply on the basis of the joy that is in me, not circumstances. It's how I live my life that prompts God to give me joy. Psalms 4, 7, you have put gladness in my heart. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. Nehemiah eight ten. do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord. The joy which comes from the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah twelve forty three. on that day they offered a great sacrifice and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. God gives joy. Psalm 16, 11, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. 18, God gives his joy to the person who demonstrates that they don't love money by giving it away. <clears throat> so God loves a cheerful giver. Now one of the things that's probably true is that word that's love there is not in the sense of John three sixteen for God so loved the whole world. It has to do with relationship. And you, you say that, oh, man, I, I love him. And not in the sense of romantic or relationship, but just because you're, you, you're pleased with what they do. God loves a cheerful giver. And we sense that, we feel that. When God is pleased with us, we sense his pleasure in us, in our heart. Number 19, I want to be totally free from worry, anxiety, and fear. Totally free, not ever fret, worry about anything. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to say, I, I never worry, I never get anxious, I never get uptight, I'm never stressed out. I don't fear anything. I don't even fear death. I'm just totally trusting the Lord. Is that an issue of willpower? Now, that's a gift from God that comes from him through his spirit. And it comes to those who trust him totally and believe in him. And it's demonstrated by the fact that they give 
Philippians 4.18, I have received everything in full. I have an abundance. Paul's writing a thank you note to the church at Philippi because they sent some money to him. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, well-pleasing to God, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. People quote that all the time, but you can't quote that verse unless you are a giver. Psalms 112, verse 5, It is well with the man who is gracious and gives. He will maintain his cause in judgment. He will never be shaken. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear. That's the way it is with the guy who gives. Hebrews 13, 5, Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never forsake you, never desert you. Number 20, God gives security and confidence to the one who trusts and gives his money to him. That's the way it is. Bean seed produces a bean plant. The corn seed produces a corn plant. And they're basic laws of life that God has communicated to us in his word. And the person that is a gracious giver will be blessed by God. And I left out some in your notes from last week if you didn't get new notes, so don't confuse. We're jumping to the very last point now. The key to consistent sacrificial giving is to make a commitment to a percentage and gradually increase it. So with some of you, occasionally I'll talk and chat. You'll ask me, hey, Pastor, I'm so buried in debt. Could you help me? And I say, Sure. And so basically, I give you this principle. Spend all your money on paper before you spend it in reality. Make the decision ahead of time to eliminate all impulsiveness from your life. And so as we're working out this budget that you're going to follow, the question comes up, okay, am I supposed to give 10%? Uh, Well, that's a good thing to work for, but I don't think you can do it. Let's make a commitment to 1%. 1%? What are you giving now? Nothing. Okay, we're... Improving pretty good here, 1%. Now make a goal that in two months you're going to increase it to 2%. You're going to test God just to see how it goes. You'll be amazed at how much it is once you develop the discipline of giving sacrificially uh, or uh, systematically on a regular basis on the basis of commitment. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart. God loves a cheerful giver, 1%. All right, two months increase it to 2 and then two months, increase it to three. Just go along like that, and pretty soon you'll be up to the point and just break right through 10%. No sense stopping there. You want to be blessed a bunch? Well, don't get locked there. I mean, just keep on going just to see what God will do and how he'll supply and how he'll bless and all the doors that open up. Uh, you do nine, just go to 10, then go to 11. Maybe you want to stretch it out to six-month increments, but you'll be amazed if you do it gradually how... Well, you can do and how much God will bless. When I started running, I ran one lap in the gym. It was a near-death experience. (laughs) Next night, I ran two laps. Next night, three laps. Pretty soon, I ran a 10K. Pretty soon, I ran a half marathon. After that, I ran a full marathon. Just one lap at a time. But have a goal and have a desire and understand that your giving is a huge factor in your spiritual life. It's a discipline. It's like dieting. It's like riding a bike. Most don't do it because it's too hard and they miss out big time. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for blessing us so much by giving us your son, the greatest gift, the greatest sacrifice that anybody could give. You did that for us. And you really expect that we will give. You don't need it, but you know how good it is for us, our soul, our spirit, and our walk and our growth and our relationship with you. I pray that we would understand that principle. That's just the way it is. You've made it that way. And that we would uh, begin to make some commitments, some goals, and manage our life and our money in such a way that we would be given greater riches from you, opportunities, open doors, because we're not in love with the world or the money. And everything is right side up because of the fact that this little discipline you use so powerfully in our life. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.